Welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. So in this episode, I will be talking to the very popular and very renowned Damien Trainer. Damien has probably come to the forefront of Muay Thai in the world because of his writings, obviously, his appearance on social media, and his early adventures and fights both in the UK and overseas in Thailand. We talk about both those experiences in this episode and why and how his experiences change the shape of UK Muay Thai. So without further ado, the interview with Damien Trainer. So thank you, Damien, for taking your time out today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. Just obviously trying to get on as best I can during this crazy time in the world. Yeah. Um, the UK is no longer locked down and the gym is open or what's going on? Uh, we still got restrictions. Most things are kind of open, but there's, there's like a few things that we still can and can't do. So it's like at the gyms, I've got a limited number of people allowed to actually train in the room at one time. Uh, we can't do any sparring yet apart from so like the pros but we can slowly start doing pad work and that now but that's hopefully changing in about 20 days fingers crossed fingers crossed as well um hopefully things will get better but you've been in muay thai for a long time you started at 14 years old uh you were driving by k-star the original k-star gym regularly correct that's right yeah it's, it's just um probably about 300 like, yards down the road from my school. So I'd see it quite daily, like the big sign. And then um, just a couple of my lads, a uh, couple of my mates from my class started training, just kind of asked me to tag along, and I did. And I've just kind of been there ever since. And you started fighting at pretty young as well, at 14 years old, correct? Yeah, um, I think I was training uh, just about six months and I had my first fight. It's a little bit different. Not you're a kid, they can just kind of throw you in there quite quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not really going to get hurt. You've got pads and that on. So obviously I just kind of did that and then just kind of try and keep competing as much as I could as a, um, as a junior before moving to the adult ranks. And your entire career, you were coached uh, primarily by uh, Logan, correct? That's right, yeah. What was his background like? He originally came from Tony Moore, who was Master Sken and, or Master Toddy, correct? That's right, yeah. He's um, with Tony Moore and then he was originally from uh, Master Sken. So he kind of did like, most of his Thai training from there. Um, he's obviously done lots of other my life. I think he did kickboxing for it as well. He did karate for a bit. He was actually a, a pro wrestler as well. He's like, he was a professional wrestler on the TV. And I kind of remember when I told my mom I'd started training, she asked me, like, oh, what's your coach's name? So, oh, Steve Logan. She's like, who? The wrestler? So I, I don't know. So when I went back the next day, I asked him, she said, oh, yeah, I used to wrestle. So like, I don't know if, if you follow it in, there, like, in the US, but we had like... Um, Big wrestling stars, you know, Big Daddy and uh, Giant Haystacks, and I've kind of lucky wrestled with all of them. Uh, did he teach you any showmanship tricks? No, not me, but um, uh. he, he has got um, like a wrestling club at the gym. Mm. When he kind of first started that, he was teaching them. It's quite fun to watch mm -hmm. some of the stuff that they were doing. And what was it like originally when you started training? I know it's obviously a long time ago, but what was the UK scene like, especially when you started fighting at a young age? Uh, I suppose you could probably almost look at it as more like um, a K1 style back then. So obviously there's a lot of boxing, a lot of leg kicks. But what you have to kind of remember is obviously way back then, there was no social media, there was no YouTube or anything. So obviously the only kind of footage we could get was on VHS which obviously being here would be obviously mainly from Europe. So obviously a lot of the, like Roman Deckers, Rob Kamen, all of those. And obviously they had like the K1 tournaments that we could get like bootleg copies to kind of watch them. Like the Thai stuff, we wouldn't get like any, anything recent for like months and months and months. And I've, most of it's in Thai anyway, so you wouldn't really know who they are unless you've been to Thailand and know and then people can tell you what their names are. Mm-hmm. And what was sort of one of your first experiences with more of the uh, Muay Thai from Thailand like? Um, I had my first full Thai rules, which obviously elbows and knees to head with a Thai opponent, was against uh, Wang Chan Noi, Sopha mm. Lang Chai, who was like five times Dumpini champion at the time. Another time, sorry, like a uh, previous, I think he was fight of the year in 1993 as well. Um, I didn't really know who he was by the name and uh, the promoter 
he sent us like a, a video over so I could have a look at him. And when I kind of saw it, I recognized him from some of the past videos I was able to watch. So obviously it kind of <laughs> shot me a little bit. But um, I was doing all right. Obviously, he's a little bit older than he was. Like, I think I fought him, um, I think it's about 21 years ago, 22 years ago. So, so he's still relatively young, but kind of like past his best from Thailand days. Mm -hmm. but, like, it kind of really opened my eyes to, like, where I've got to try and get to in regards to my, obviously, like, training and my actual level. And where was the fight at? Did he come over to the UK? Yeah, he came over to the UK. Um, I was originally meant to fight him in France the year before, but that fight fell through. And obviously then he kind of come up again, fighting him in the UK, up on a Dean White show, up in Wakefield, which is north from me. Um, like Dean White's got a real lot of good gym in the UK as well. He's traveled to Thailand extensively. And obviously Son Dale, Dale was like an exceptional fighter in his day. Yeah, Dean White um, has had the gym for a long time as well. He, um, Melissa Ray, who was at Eminent Air, was out of his gym, I believe. Um, but what was... So, okay, yeah. Had you moved up to the pro ranks by the time you were fighting the Thai, or what sort of happened in that? Yeah, regard? no, um, I, I had, uh, I think I had about, I think it might have been 10 junior fights. Mm -hmm. Then I moved up to the adult ranks when I was 16. So, like, by the time I'd fought Ranch and Night, I think I'd probably had 30 odd fights. I think by the time I'd, I'd fought him. Might have been 25, between 20 and 30 fights, I can't fully remember. So I was quite experienced. I was already um, a European champion at the time. But then, obviously, after fighting Wan Chan and then going to Thailand afterwards, um, I was actually three times European champion before I got to Thailand. That didn't mean anything in Bangkok at all. You know, it's just, it's a very, very different world mm -hmm. out there, as obviously as you're aware. And what was the setup for the Wan Chan Noi uh, bout itself? What was were you having fights regularly? What was sort of the production and promotion like? Uh, not for me. Um, I was probably averaging about six, seven fights, possibly a year, sometimes mm. more, sometimes less, depending on injury. Um, when I fought Wan Chan Noi, at that time, there was no like day before weigh-in, so I fought Wan Chan Noi. It was an on-the-day weigh-in. I think the fight was set at 57. I think he'd come in at like 57 point something. I'll come in at um, just over 56. Like I said, it was on the day, so there was no kind of weight advantages for either party as such. And um, I was doing well, and I got jumping knee in the face in the third round, which I'd never experienced before. He cut um, under my eye here, and I've, I had like two cuts across my eye there, and obviously I couldn't see. Um, obviously, it was waved off from there. If I tried to have continued someone at that level, I probably could have got seriously hurt. Mm -hmm. And how was the match set up itself? You had grown your career up to a point where they won more international opponents for you? Yeah, um, like I said, I was already European champion at that time. Um, I started fighting international opposition at 17, like for a, a Dutch guy called um, Nordin Eladmani. He'd, be, he'd went on to become world champion himself, and he actually beat Wan Chan Noi after I'd fought him, like later on. Then um, I'd fought um, a Danish guy called Dennis Cobb. I think he was the first Westerner to fight uh, Nang Dun. Then uh, I, I fought like a, I fought like numerous other like a French, small Dutch, um, Portuguese. You know, like I'd fought quite a few before. And I had already done like the European scene, so it was kind of trying to step out a bit more. But it just might have been a jump a little bit too soon for me. That happens sometimes. Yeah. But you sort of went to Thailand after that. Can you talk about that experience and when it was and what it was like? Yeah, um, after the fight with Chennai, I'd, I'd broke my hand. Um, after that fight, I fought again. I won the fight after that, but I broke my hand again. Mm. And I had a few months off, and I fought again. I broke my hand again. So then um, like, I had the doctors telling me, like, I probably should retire because you keep doing this. It's the same bone. It keeps breaking. Mm -hmm. But um, I started seeing a, a doctor who was, like, the leading doctor for the boxing in the Midlands at the time, and he was always at the events. Um, he was, like, the, the doctor at the events that I was competing on. He said he'd look after me. So, like, I'd go and see him every few months. He'd scan my hand. And when he said it was okay, after I started training properly, um, I'd had a couple of fights, again, just to get back into the flow. I kind of exceeded everything that I'd kind of done in the UK and Europe. So then I wanted to go to Thailand. Um, I went on a, just a two-week uh, vacation just to kind of check it out. I liked it. So when I come back, I kind of got everything arranged and kind of went back out there for six months. 
the gym that I first started training at was uh, Jitladar, which I think it's got a different name now, which is just um, on a Paramsi Road, just down by the old uh, Lumpini Stadium used to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just kind of down there off one of the side roads. Uh, the way I found that is uh, I was coming out of my hotel the one morning and then um, have you ever met uh, Peck? He used to run Rompo. Um, maybe. If I saw him, I maybe. might know him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was driving down the road and he just stopped in the middle of the road, shouted over at me, you, boxing, and then drove <laughs> off. And then I seen him later on that night in Lumpini Stadium and he gave me a card. So I just showed the card to the taxi guy and he took me to the gym. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got on with everyone, got really well there. They said, look, do you really well to come over here for six months and compete. Mm-hmm. So obviously when I went back home, I kind of set things in motion and then went back over. Um, I stayed a year in the end. I did like six months back for Christmas, back mm-hmm. again for six months and just kind of went backwards and forwards, quite frequently and onwards. Yeah, that's good. And just in terms of time period, when was that? That would have been, I think, 2003. Mm. And not a lot of uh, guys from the UK had gone over yet, correct? No, there's like there's a handful. Like I said, like, when I went over, there's, like, I was there for a big stint at the time. Um, Kieran Kettle was there for a big stint at the time. Uh, Liam Harrison, Jordan Watson, they went over there. And just there was a few other lads that like, aren't as well known, but they were there for big stints as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone just kind of like different teams, all kind of fighting and kind of around like, the same kind of promotions. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like now, as you know, uh, Muay Thai tourism is quite big business. Mm-hmm. Thailand now, so it's really big foreigners taking big, big long stays over there to compete and kind of up their game. Um, like, I don't know if you'd agree, but like from from when I was going, it's almost like um, you learn your trade in Thailand, then you kind of start making your name a little bit more internationally in your own country then. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that is still relevant and true as well. You know, the the good thing about Thailand is you can get a lot of experience relatively fast. And now with social media, it's even easier to get that experience and get the exposure at the same time. So you can put the work in in Thailand and get the same, almost the same level of recognition internationally if you're social media savvy. Yeah, that's it. So I remember um, like when I was in Thailand, uh, people in the UK thought I'd retired because obviously I just kind of disappeared off the scene. <laughs> people asking, oh, is Damien retired? And blah, blah. obviously I was very active. Like when I was in Thailand, I had 10 fights in that mm. year, which like, a Westerners quite a lot. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You're also a good weight for Thailand as well. Yeah, they, that's they said I was fat and wanted me to get down <laughs> to uh, 49 kilos, but I just wasn't. I want my kidneys to work later on in life, so I wasn't bothering yeah. getting down that low. You, where, where, where are you fighting at out here? Uh, 55, like 54, 55. I walk around 57, 58. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite competitive. A lot of young fighters are very fast and very technical. Well, I remember. Um, uh, they were looking to match me for the WPMF world title. Mm-hmm. When they checked their blood, the, the champion, it was like Sanchai, which obviously that's it's just huge mm-hmm. compared to me. And obviously it's just, it just wasn't, that's why they kept telling me, look, you've got to get down to 49 kilos. They're just too big because obviously they stripped loads of weight in Thailand. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just not doing it. Yeah, it's not uncommon for guys that size to be cutting like five to six kilos, which... You know, I would not recommend to anyone that weight and anyone in general either. What was the gym like? Were you the only foreigner there? Uh, What was the general atmosphere and sort of uh, scene like? um, The actual, obviously, all the trainers were Thai. The guy that actually run the gym was um, Shuki. I don't know if you've met Shuki, the tall Israeli guy Mm -hmm. in Thailand for decades. Like he's the one actually run the gym, so obviously it was it was quite good in one aspect. So even kind of like being Western, he kind of understood me as mm-hmm. well, rather than just going just throwing you into fight after fight after fight kind of thing. And obviously, the, the, the Thai trainers there, but then that gym got sold, mm. so we had to move, and ended up at uh, Rompo. I don't know if you've heard of Rompo. Yeah, at the yeah, time. of course. It was quite a dodgy gym. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't get looked after very well, and. Everyone in the gym was nice and friendly. And like, like I said, I spoke about Peck. Uh, I do I do really like Peck, but I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him. But um, again, obviously, the gym was only full of foreigners at that time when I was there. 
So like he'd send me to another gym, which is uh, 96 Penang, which is under mm-hmm. like a flyover in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. He'd send me there to go and clinch. Like that was a real eye opener. That was like, so I was the only foreigner like going in around that time there. Uh, I know a lot of the foreigners have been since, but during the time I was there, I was the only one at that precise moment. And um, like used to make you run and I have to clinch for 45 minutes. And I'd, I'd just get thrown around like a rag doll for 45 minutes. I didn't think I was learning anything. But then when I come back to the UK, I'm the one that's throwing people around because obviously I could put into practice what I was having done to me. I found that quite a lot in Thailand where I found it really hard to pull off what they were showing me mm-hmm. until I come home. Mm. And I could really implement what they were doing. And obviously then I could start doing it back to them then. Mm. And why do you think there was that skill gap between, you know, what you were learning and what you were able to apply? I just think it's experience because like even though I'd been training for a long time and I'd had like quite a lot of number of fights. It's just it's just the experience. And obviously they're just doing it, as you know, every day, six hours a day, twice. You know, it's just kind of it's just that constant. And obviously that's what kind of helps you when you go over as well. When you're there for like Thailand for a long stint, you're just doing the same thing. Like there's some like I didn't really I can't say I learned a lot that I didn't kind of already know. But I understood how to play the game better, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I understood things. I did the word tricks and so on. But I actually understand Muay Thai a lot more from being around them and just kind of watching them on the bag and seeing how they train. You kind of, it's really hard to kind of push that onto someone. You have to kind of see it for yourself and start implementing it in your own training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. One of the, I think, smart things that you do is uh, you do the YouTube series or the Instagram series where it's, more proficient, less proficient. And a lot of that sort of stuff is not learned directly for Westerners. It's something... Uh, uh, it's like, um, like, as you know, anyway, because obviously there's a huge language barrier mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Thailand and obviously the West. And a lot of the time, even those like the Spanish or the French, the Thai still kind of speak English to them, so it's even worse <laughs> for them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So like, it's really hard for them sometimes to understand. So I remember um, when I was at the gym, there was... Um, uh, a Thai lad who come, never trained before. He was, I think he was early 20s. So like he hadn't trained when he, it's not like he trained as a kid and stopped to come. He just never trained ever. But he got really good really quickly. Mm. Obviously, because they could converse mm-hmm. properly and kind of correct him properly, mm-hmm. make him understand what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And there's also that level of, you know, the cultural knowledge of the sport as well. Like, you know, you're going to naturally be a better football player uh, than, you know, someone from Antarctica or, you know, because I'm American, I know how to throw a football or swing a bat, you know? Like, um, occasionally I've seen a couple of street fights out in Bangkok Mm. and roundhouse kicks are thrown and knees are thrown. You know, like, you can tell that they don't train, but they've got an idea of what's happening, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And so what was the... You had the 10 fights out here in Thailand. Can you walk through that experience? What was that like? And what was sort of going on at the time? Um, Well, there there was one stage when I was um, competing every 10 days, which was, like, it was quite hard. Um, The the first one... um, I was at one gym before Jit Ladar. Because when I first got to Thailand, Jit Ladar was closed for a bit. So I was at another gym for a while. And um, they wanted to test me out. Mm-hmm. See what I was like, if I was worth betting on. So I went to the gym in the morning, trained, went back home, chilled out. When I went back to the afternoon, like the, the trainers were, no, 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 stop. You fight tonight. Go home, relax, come back at 6 o'clock. I was like, what? Um, okay. So I went off, come back. Then they took me to, I don't know what it was in Bangkok, I don't know where it was, it was some bar somewhere in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. I remember there being two buildings. Between the two buildings, there's like um like a roof going over the top mm-hmm. and a boxing ring in the middle. There was no one at the bar, there's no one drinking. It's like the bar wasn't even really open. Mm-hmm. And then there's my opponent, he's like trying their corner team and like from his gym. Then obviously there's my corner team, a couple of people from the gym had come to watch. And it was just me and him, just had this one fight in this bar. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit mad. Um, I won the fight. Uh, I put him down in the fourth round for body punch. Mm-hmm. Because of that, they wanted to set the fight up for the TV later on because mm-hmm. he was scoring Muay Thai because I could hit hard. Mm-hmm. So they could gamble on it because obviously they'd start betting on him. Mm-hmm. And I could mm-hmm. put it back a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd match that for uh, some on UBC mm-hmm. like a few months later. But um, 
connection to that gym kind of fell a bit funny because mm. I, I didn't feel like I could be looked after properly. Mm-hmm. So I left from there, so that fight didn't happen. So that was the first one. Then when I went back to Jitladar, um, they arranged a fight for me, like more or less the following week. Mm-hmm. I was like quite shocked. I was like, oh, a fight already? And I was like, well, that's what you've come for. I was like, all right, fair enough. So then I fought the, like, the following week. Uh, that was on the it's on a Queen's birthday event, but not the big one. It's like a real small one, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a car park somewhere in Bangkok. I remember there's like a fair going on at the same time. So like there was one stall selling Suzuki motorbikes. There's another stall with like a play. There's another one singing and dancing. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a KFC on one side, macro somewhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what they'd said is um, there's like no check weight. Mm. So like, okay, brilliant. Normally when there's no check weight, it's like the foreign is normally bigger than the Thai. Yeah. I ended up replacing a Westerner that was 70 kilos. The tie that I fought was around 65. Oh. I was about 57. Mm. Um, it was ex Imagine I'm known champion. Um, Shutong is now, I can't remember his surname, but I have to go back mm-hmm. and have a look. But like he was ex Ragnar unknown champion. Um, I lost that fight on points, but it was like really close going all the way through. Mm-hmm. They caught me with like a left body kick and it kind of I winced a little bit and I mm-hmm. winded. And like the corner team said, because of that, that's why you, mm-hmm. you lost. Mm-hmm. So after that, the next day, a couple of people said, oh, you fought Shutong. Oh, you did really well not to get knocked out. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I really, like, really bizarre. Oh, yeah, cheers. And then um, <laughs> 10 days after that, I fought in Phuket, down in uh, Patong Stadium. Mm-hmm. That was really bizarre because I had to travel on a minibus from Bangkok to Phuket. Mm. I didn't know until I got to Phuket, my opponent was sat next to me. <laughs> so like me and my opponent like, drove all the way there he probably knew he's fighting me because he probably knew he's fighting a, a westerner mm-hmm. i'm saying we've got there and obviously before um again i lost that on points this is where i was starting to learn to understand the game mm-hmm. like the first three rounds i was in complete control but then round four he just kind of just went up a massive level mm-hmm. and started really throwing me around like marching for the clinch throwing me on the floor so because of how big he took round four it kind of almost made those other rounds mm-hmm. obsolete. And then round five, I tried to push again. He ragged me around again for like the first minute of round five. So he took control. And then obviously like the normal just stayed off, touch glove, play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was that. Then 10 days after that, uh, I flew to Hong Kong and I fought for the Hong Kong Championships. That was quite a mad story. I won that in the fourth round. But that was really bizarre because the promoter for that was uh, Billy Cho, who's like a big movie star in Hong Kong. Like he's mm. the villain for uh, Jackie Chan and all these other Kung Fu movies. But um, there's like a team of us from Thailand that went. There was like me, there's a Spanish guy, there's a French guy, there was a Japanese guy, uh, there was a Scottish, Irish, excuse me, and um, there was a Thai. And obviously we all fought. And as we were going out there, it was Peck that organised it. Mm. And he kind of, sat me, the Irish guy and the Scottish guy down, because we all knew each other from, obviously, the UK. And he said, look, I want to tell you now, because three are going to win, the rest are going to lose. Mm. And what happened was, we went, all the other guys weren't up to our level, and they just got absolutely obliterated. Mm-hmm. Um, I won, the Irish guy won. The Scottish guy's opponent changed when we got to um, Hong Kong. He ended up fighting a tie that was coaching in Macau. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, he lost that on points. It was a real tough fight for him. Mm-hmm. But then um, but the, the Thai trainer that also went over to fight on the event, he kind of, he was paid to lose. Mm-hmm. And he lost that fight for like, the crowd in Hong Kong. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, there's always the politics of the promotion. And, you know, maybe Peck is like doing some, you know, looking for a deal of some sort, you know. Well, he even said, like when he was coming back, he kind of said, look, if I take all strong people all the time, because they're not going to bring me back. Yeah, so I have to mm-hmm. make it fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have to kind of bring some good ones and some like not so good. Yeah, because uh, especially in China, they they want to win, and a lot of times yeah. they'll they'll do things that are slightly shady or something that you know well, bolsters so, uh, their chances Hong- a lot. But I fought in Hong Kong twice, and both times the weigh-ins two days before. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, so obviously again, I'm still fighting at 55. Mm-hmm. They're coming. I don't know what they're coming from. If it's a two-day weigh-in. Yeah, so they got tripping right down. Yeah, I assume they're at sixty something the day of the yeah. fight. So, what about your further? You had like that run of maybe four fights in forty days. Uh, what about your longer ones? 
or what happened uh, with your other fights? Um, from there, then, um, I had a bit of a chill out a bit. It wasn't that long. Then I'd fought in uh, Koh Samui. Uh, mm-hmm. It was supposed to be for the uh, Chuang Stadium title. Mm-hmm. When I got to the event, they changed my mind and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, so that ended up just fought there. Then um, I got back home for Christmas, went back again. Um, I was in a bit of a bad place and I didn't have that much money. Mm-hmm. I, went I was a bit silly. I should have waited a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went over. So I was at Rompo again because they let me train for free. I just took 50% of my purse, but I had a lot of things going on. Like uh, Bangkok's uh, a bit of a crazy place at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't got any cash. So I was, I was in a bit of a bad way. Uh, I took a fight in um, Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't train or prepare mm-hmm. for the fight whatsoever. Um, I didn't have any money to pay for my rent. <laughs> so I had to kind of just go so I could pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I was just completely out. I just wasn't in the fight. So I just kind mm-hmm. of, I, I wrote a big blog about it, which people can read up on it. Mm-hmm. I wrote it on my website. And I kind of, I kind of bottled the fight halfway through, which like even now haunts me. So mm-hmm. It's just something I've never done like ever since. But I just wasn't, I wasn't mentally there. I wasn't ready for the fight. I was sent to fight by myself. So I had no mm-hmm. one with me. I had to have the corner team there look after mm-hmm. me. So it's just something that, like, it just wasn't a very nice experience. Then um, a few months after that, I fought in Australia against Aaron Lee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't really prepare properly for the fight. I don't know how the fight would have went. It was really close with Aaron. Uh, but Aaron put me down in uh, the fourth round. With, um, we both left kicks at the same time, and his left kick hit my solar plexus, which hurt me. Mm-hmm. And he must have saw he hurt me, and he come marching in, landed mm-hmm. with my knee, put me down, took an eight count, got up, carried the rest of the fight. Obviously, I lost that on points. That was for the... WMC Intercontinental mm-hmm. like fight, uh, title fight, sorry. But like for me, Aaron's probably the best non-tie mm-hmm, that I've fought. Mm-hmm. He's, like, he's very skillful. He's fought some good ties like himself. He's from um, Strike Force Gym in mm-hmm. Australia. As always, if you'd like to follow me, you can do so on Instagram, Matt Lucas Muay Thai. I always respond to messages there. I also have the website, matt-lucas.com or email me at a.matt.lucas at gmail.com. Thanks to all the people that have supported me so far, sharing the podcast, leaving reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, that would be super helpful. You can do so on the iTunes stores. After years of hard work, studying, and being in the game, I publish On Fighting in Thailand, a guide to the sport in the motherland. is a Muay Thai encyclopedia. It goes over... Scoring, matchmaking, picking gym, fight styles, gambling, Muay Thai culture, and more. It contains a series of interviews with long-term expat fighters, including Michael Savas, Willie Whipple, Lisa Brealey, Angela Chang, and others. It is a great guide, educates, and helps guide careers by helping save fighters from costly mistakes. It is a definitive guide and is available on Amazon as an ebook and in print. So go check it out. I'm fighting in Thailand, a guide to the sport in the motherlands. Yeah, I believe that's Mark Pierce's gym. Yeah, Mark, Mark's a great guy. He's had some really good, good people come from his camp as well. And that was in 2004 or so? So oh, that one, uh, that's 2005. Yeah. So the WMC was very, very active in Australia. Yeah, like, at the like, time. Like in my time, that was kind of like the, the that the the belt. was the only one that was like recognized outside of Thailand. I don't know if that still might be the case. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. But like obviously it's recognized by the Thai government. So it was like it was the the kind of like the belt to try and go for. Um I fought in Japan as well, sorry, when I was over there. That was for again. WMC Intercontinental title fight. That was absolutely insane. Um, the fight was matched at 55. I was 57 in Thailand. I thought when I get to Japan, I'll, I'll get two kilos off. When I got there, they told me the fight was 52. Oh. So we had to argue for a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the end, they agreed 53. Mm. So for two days, I was not eating, running around Tokyo in a sweatsuit, <laughs> trying to get the weight down. Um, I eventually got the weight down. Um, again, we were arguing. They were saying, um, if it's a draw, we've got to have an extra round. We said, look, this isn't K1. It's not kickboxing. Mm, mm. It's WMC. You can't change. Like, yeah, yeah. It was really, really like chaotic. Um, we did the fight. I felt I won. My corner mm-hmm. team felt I won. The Japanese guy's Thai trainer thought I won. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they 
gave the the decision to him, which is fair. When you go away, you have to kind of yeah. that extra bit of working. Mm-hmm. But like, I really enjoyed the time. But it was just really, really like it was just hard work. Like two days. I remember not eating for two days, and uh, the coach come over to me and allowed me like a like a pot noodle. <laughs> no, no flavoring or anything, mm-hmm. and even to this day, it feels like the best meal I've ever had. I, had <laughs> I was running, wasn't drinking. It was just real hard work. Yeah, that is not so nice for sure. Um, yeah. So you were in Thailand until about 2006. Then um, I got back the end of 2005. So obviously, mm-hmm. I was back in the UK for the start of 2006. And what was it like coming back after that long stint in Thailand? What was going on in the UK at the time? And how did Uh, you feel? um, Have you been back to the US much since you've been in Thailand? Uh, A couple of times. So I don't know if you felt the same. When I got back to the UK, everything felt hectic. Even though Mm. Bangkok's a crazy city, everything's very mellow. Everything's Mm -hmm. very laid back. Mm -hmm. When I got here, I felt like everything was like 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And then like I remember having to get the bus to places and I'd see the same people at the same time of day that I saw before I went to Thailand doing this. It was just kind of, it was really like boring mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, because there'd been so many people doing long stints in Thailand and then they were coming back to the UK, the style of the UK changed quite a lot. Mm. Prior to when I went, it was, like I say, it was very Dutch orientated. When I come back, it kind of it was going through like... Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think it's just kind of changing. Like I said, it's getting more, more Thai. Then we had like a uh, lot like Tony Myers coming like really heavily with um, how Muay Thai should be scored. So that was kind mm-hmm. of influencing, uh, influencing a lot how the fights were going on. And then um, there's like a, a forum called Axe Kickboxing. I don't know if mm-hmm. you ever saw Axe Kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, a bad forum, but it was a good one at the same time. So it was always kicking off, but it kind of it got people to know who people are. Mm-hmm. which is why I think we probably had more stars from the UK back then compared to what we've got now because with social media, you kind of pick and choose what you want to see. Mm-hmm. When actually boxing, you had to look at everything. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think like the UK, Muay Thai scene kind of like skyrocketed then. Because mm-hmm. we had a bit of a bad name when I first started out. We went through like, um, before I'd started training, we had some really good fighters like uh, like Ronnie Green. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't figure it out, but like there's... So many others as well. Then you went for a bad patch for a bit where English fighters were going out and was getting absolutely annihilated. But then it come back to like a, a good good time again. We had like a load of like good fighters coming through. And it just seems to be snowballing from there onwards. And were there a lot of promotions at the time as well in the UK when you came back? Yeah, like before obviously COVID and even then, there was probably a promotion somewhere every weekend. Oh, that's like, good. Obviously I, I um because obviously K Star where I trained, I worked there as well. So I was kind of like like the head coach of the gym. Mm-hmm. And I remember one year, I think I had two weekends off oh, from wow. fights that year. Because I was just with someone every mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. If if there were kids or adults, there was just something going on. So obviously it's quite easy to kind of get people, people active. Just a bit annoying sometimes you gotta travel yeah. like really far. Yeah, it it's a big commitment for the trainers to be going with fighters basically anywhere besides right down the road. Yeah, I think that's where sometimes it might um, come unstuck in the US because you think you have to have the athletic, athletic commissions involved mm-hmm. in some of the events. So it's really hard to get them on. Because obviously here in the UK, it's a little bit different, it's a bit more independent. Mm-hmm. So we've got like, the official judges that we can get in. We don't have to kind of go to the government to kind of get people to affiliate it. Yeah, it's caused big problems in the US because a lot of the athletic commissions are wonky or ruled by old kickboxing guys, uh, which is the case in California. So the scoring is very uneven and really hampers the growth of the sport in the States. Uh, But when you came back from Thailand, were you uh, coaching and training and fighting or were you just primarily focused? Um, When I first first got back, um, I had quite a few fights again in that one year just to kind of keep active. Then I just kind of... And I kind of fell off a little bit. I kind of, I got bored of training. I've been a long time in Thailand. When I first got back, I was back in the gym fighting continuously again. And then um, I just started adding off. So I kind of took about 18 months off. Mm-hmm. And then um, I kind of come back. I fought Thai that was originally, 
it was from the WMC Camping Lamai, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Rong Chai. That was for a WMC Mad title. Um, that was at 57. Mm -hmm. uh, I fought him before I did my stint in Thailand before, and he kind of did a number on me. Like um, I got like a big scar here from an elbow off him. Mm -hmm. Another one up there. So this is like the rematch. I lost that on points. A few people thought I should have won. Mm -hmm. After me being in Thailand and me looking at it, I think it was a fair decision. I kind of understand how, mm -hmm. it, how it goes. I think I lost that. And then I took another two years off after that. I just, like, I just kind of fell off. But I wanted to be a world champion. I think if I'd have won that belt at that time, I probably wouldn't have bothered coming back because I hadn't mm -hmm. achieved what I set myself out for. I kind of come back again. And mm -hmm. I started being active again in that process. And I had to kind of had like a, probably my best, best time in my career from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, you fought some big names as well. You fought uh, Rungrivi in yeah. the UK, correct? Can you talk about That's that, right. when it was and the situation? Um, I saw Rungrivi fight in the UK. Um, you know, I thought like he, he was phenomenal, he was ferocious. Uh, people kept saying, oh, you should fight him, you should fight him. So he could, people kind of planted that seed in my head. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I spoke to my manager, um, kind of like to try and set the ball in motion. It didn't happen for, I think about just over a year, maybe a year and a half after that. But I remember I went to Thailand on holiday and I went to train at Sassipapa. And Mr. Takoon, oh, Damien, um, they speak about you fight Rungavi. Go, go, mm -hmm. clinch. He just made me clinch him straight away. So he wanted <laughs> to have a look at me to see how, how it would fare. Mm -hmm, so we were mm -hmm. like, like, it was kind of even tip for tap. And then like we, we did a bit of sparring together as well. Like it, I think that like Takuma was just looking. And then it just kind of happened like a few months, not a few months, um, about a year after that session. That was in the UK. Uh, the fight was set at 55. Uh, Rungavi couldn't get past 57. Mm -hmm. I was 55. So they kind of said, look, would you give weight away? You can take 20% of his purse. So I did that. Um, the fight went ahead. Um, I lost on points. Um, it's kind of like my real-life Rocky moment where mm -hmm. I took a bit of a pounding, but I was in there. You mm -hmm, know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's competitive for him. I didn't make it easy. And I was the only Western at under 60 kilos at that time to go the distance with him. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely at his height as well. That's it. Like, he just won that. Um, mm -hmm. He's like a, becoming a big star, mm -hmm. like around a lot of the world. He's on like a lot of the big... Like promotions like um I think uh he'd fought in the US not long before that, I think, against a Spanish guy, which he stopped with like knees to the legs. Mm, mm, mm. And then um I think he fought in France, but that fight was at 63. He won that mm -hmm. like quite convincingly as well. Um I he fought like in a few other because I was keeping tabs on him because obviously it's mm -hmm. quite what I'm looking for. And he just kind of he just marching through everyone. And he had yeah. some real lots of battles with uh Sioui. Mm -hmm. as well some real hard hard fights with him yeah but it's definitely you know a good accomplishment to have fought him at the height of his career as well and definitely as he was coming up sort of um he still continued to fight i think he fought until the last year or two and sort of went downhill so because obviously like um, i know because my guys now when they go to thailand if they go to bangkok i send them to sasapapa so mm -hmm. like uh, like the one try, uh, guy I've got, uh, Dan Edwards, like he's a two times world oh, champion, mm -hmm, good mm -hmm. names in Thailand as well. And I sent him there, and, like he said that Rungavi just stopped training for a lot of mm -hmm. the fights after that. Like he he's meant to go running and he'd go out and he'd go into a hammock around the corner, then come back about like half hour later to say pretend he's been running. Mm -hmm. Like the only time he'd really train is if like Takoon's on his back, mm -hmm. like pushing him. Which like as you know, because they do for such a young age, I think they get burnt out. Yeah, definitely. They, they just have enough. Yeah. I think it, you know, it happens to Westerners as well. You know, you even yeah, said yourself, you took yeah. 18 months off, you know, it's, it's hard to sustain the career for an extended period of time, yeah. no matter if you're winning or losing or what's going on, it becomes boring and repetitive. It's just hard to maintain that emotional momentum. But I remember when I first come back from Thailand, like my feet were in bits from all the running. Because obviously mm. they haven't really got great running shoes out there. Mm. So what I could buy, I couldn't really afford like the proper kind of trainers or sneakers. So I'd, I'd have to just kind of wear the cheap knockoff ones. So mm. when I got back, my heels and the ball of my feet were just in agony when I first got back. 
Mm. So, so again, I carried on training, carried on fighting. I just had to just chill out a bit just to let my body recover. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you continued to fight, and then you had a little bit of a break uh, where you retired, and then you came back, correct? Yeah. Uh, when um, was that, and what was that like at the time? Kind of, um, I, I didn't. I kind of stopped fighting in 2012. Um, I was looking at opening this place, but we had a lot of um, legal work going on, trying to sort out the lease. Like that was like really going on for like a real long time. So like. Um, even like before like my, my last couple of fights, this was going through, but you just kind of just like chaos. Mm. Then got this place done. Um, it was doing really well. Um, I moved in with like my like long-term girlfriend at the time. We got a, she got pregnant, we had, had a baby, no, so everything was going well. And then um I just wanted to fight in front of my son. I don't know if you've like read the thing I put up, but um there's that old sort of I suppose it is an old film called uh, Real Steel. Mm-hmm. It's got a huge app, man. It's about fighting robots, sci-fi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, there's like a bit in it where his son's watching him emulate boxing and his son's really proud. I remember watching that before I'd had kids, thinking, oh, because I was in the, like, the twilight of my career. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to have, my, my family's never going to see me fight. Like my mm-hmm. son will never see me compete. So obviously when that came up, I thought, oh, I want to do that. And I said, I just... And then um, people kept saying, you've retired, you've retired. And I've, I've never, I've, even now, I've never officially mm-hmm. retired. I've never put a big statement out to say I've retired. I have retired, but I haven't put like a big yeah. PR out to say I've done it. And someone kept saying, you've retired, retired. I said, look, I haven't retired. I'm just kind of focusing on my gym. And then Kieran Kedal messaged me the next morning, do you want to fight in the Muay Thai Grand Prix? And I was sitting there, I kind of thought, the first thing was that film, like that movie. And I thought, oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm, just gonna do, I'm gonna, I'll be able to fight in front of my son. But as soon as I said yes, I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I couldn't, like, for that fight, I didn't, I didn't train properly. Because, obviously, like, as you know, when you fight, you've got to be selfish. That has mm. to take priority. Mm-hmm. When you've got kids, kids are priority. When you're in a relationship, your relationship's your priority. When mm-hmm. you've got your own business, it's what's supporting your mortgage. Mm-hmm. That's your priority. So the, the training for that fight was, like, way, way back. So I'd come mm-hmm. in, do a few rounds of pads in the morning, a few rounds of pads in the afternoon. Like, I didn't really run. I didn't, I didn't really spy, you know, like I just couldn't, because everything, everything else was more important than that, but I just wanted to fight in front of my son, which I got to do it. He doesn't remember it whatsoever, <laughs> but I, I remember it, so, yeah. right, I suppose. Um, and so, what was the transition into opening the gym like, and what, uh, you opened it in 2012, 2013, correct? uh 2013 yeah. yeah uh so what was happening in the uk muay thai scene at the time and what was it like opening a gym uh well to be honest um i've worked in the gym since i was like 15 i had like a, a bit of a part-time job in the gym under my coach um so like with um, steve logan he, he didn't just train me muay thai he showed me how to run a business like k-star has been going since uh 93 it's been a full-time gym so like it's been successful. So he showed me how to run a gym. He showed me how to coach. He's kind of like showed me all these things. And so because I'd ran the original K-Star gym for well over a decade, when I come to open this, it was it was just no difference of working at the gym anyway. And because K-Star had like um, a big name in Birmingham anyway, mm-hmm. I had a lot of leads straight away. And then because what's kind of happened now is my name's kind of overtook a little bit the K-Star name. So mm-hmm. I get the lead coming in now, not just because of K-Star, because of my own name mm-hmm. at the same time. And um, it's just it's just consistent. It's like a conveyor belt. I'll get mm-hmm. some that they'll start and they don't leave. People come in, drop off, come in. It's just kind of just constantly flowing. And obviously, um, my aim really is to kind of make the people the best that they can be. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to constantly create fires. I'm constantly trying to create champions because not everybody wants to do that if that's mm-hmm. the avenue they want to go to then fine i can direct them in that direction if i just want to get fit i just want to self-defense i just want to learn something again i can just push them in that direction and obviously i've got the experience and knowledge to kind of do that for them mm-hmm. what was the uk muay thai scene like in 2013 and how has it changed or what sort of direction has it gone in i think Stylistically, I think it's far better, like as I said earlier on, because uh, we had so many people from the UK doing big stints in Thailand, learning, oh, I've been doing this, that's 
not very proficient. This is better than bringing it back and obviously the scoring as well, understanding the scoring. Um, I think the whole actual level is like far, far greater now in the UK than mm-hmm. before. But like I said, I don't think there is as many stars as there were before. Even though we've got social media, you can pick and choose what social media you, you view, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So long yeah. as you don't like a certain group of people, mm-hmm. you don't have to acknowledge what they're doing. They might be mm-hmm. doing great things, but if you don't see it, you're not going to learn about it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, Which yeah, absolutely. I think like the uh, like axe kickboxing, as much as everyone hated it, everyone had to go there mm-hmm. to see what shows were coming up, where they could get the fighters matched, what fighters are doing well. And people used to go for the arguments and have a read of the arguments, but then they'd start kind of like learning who's who. Mm-hmm. Where like, um, I think it's a shame, but I think social media is like a massive thing that fighters need to tap into now. Not even mm-hmm. just fighters, just like coaches as well. I mm-hmm. think it's something they need to try and like tap into to try and get the customer to get their names out there. Yeah, you've been very, very proficient with uh, your social media presence. Uh, how how you developed it and was it conscious and can you talk about that for a little bit? Um, but to be honest, um, I've just done. I wasn't really doing that much with it. Um, I've just put an odd post here and there, and then I got contacted by uh, Kibian from CSA, mm-hmm. and he kind of said, "Oh, do you want to come out to like the US, come and work with the fighters at my gym?" I was like, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, "I'd be honest, blah blah blah." So I went out. Of CSA is really good with its social media, mm-hmm. so I kind of watched what they were doing. Um, started implementing some of the stuff that they did, uh, but then I started working with the Warrior Collective as well, mm-hmm. which that kind of come about at the same time. So that they both almost snowballed with each other, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. my social media was kind of exploded. Obviously, in the US, like I've got a bigger following in the US now in the UK, mm. and then it just kind of snowballed from there. So like now I'm just kind of just like pushing it, and obviously because of that, people are looking back at my history, mm. seeing what I've done. And then, like, I'm getting to work with, like, some of the top, like, um, MMA fighters now to come and help with their striking, which mm-hmm. has all come from going to the States at that time. And uh, when you went to the States, it was maybe 2017, 20? Or, uh, no, first, 18, maybe? No, um, I first went 2015. I did mm-hmm. a seminar in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I did a couple in Philadelphia, actually. Then I come back. Then I went in. Brought over again to Philadelphia, did some more, had my fight, and then Kirian contacted me to like come out. So I was told, like, I've spoken to a couple of their guys from there, like Kevin and all them. We've kind of spoken mm-hmm. for quite a few years. So they brought me out from there. That would have been in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then I've just kind of been quite regular. Then um, after CSA, I met Henry Cejudo mm-hmm. from um, in the UFC. Then he flew me out to his place mm-hmm. a few months after that. And then obviously I've just kind of gone back and forth quite regular to like gyms over there and kind of worked with like some of the fighters. And then obviously now in the UK, I get some of the UFC guys, Bellator guys coming to work with me as well. I mean, you, I would say you had a pretty big presence for a long time too, because I remember reading some of your blog articles and other media you've put out uh, since 2005, or, you know, shortly yeah, after you know X, um, X kickboxing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the, 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 when I started the blogs, I think they read, they're what kind of got me the first seminar in the US. Mm-hmm. But they did really well for a long time. I think because um, there wasn't that many blogs on Muay Thai about mm-hmm. at the time. And obviously I'm, I'm talking from um, actual experience. So I'm kind of, because with a lot of the stuff that I put, I, I don't try to make it where I'm not like everybody else. I want mm-hmm. people to know that you're no different to me. So there's no different. There's no reason why you can't achieve or surpass what I've mm. done. But I think where you'll get like some fighters and they'll, they'll try to put themselves on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. So other people, oh, I could never do that um, or whatever. Because like, um, I remember one blog post I wrote, it did quite well. I spoke about being nervous in the changing room. Mm. And like, the amount of feedback that I got from that, from even like top professional fighters, I feel the same. Like, people can start to open up a little bit. And I think it's comforting to them to know that someone who's done quite well is in the same position and they are feeling the same way so it kind of gives them a bit of motivation as well so it seems like it's normal yeah i mean definitely attesting to that i've obviously done photos and worked at roger demner and before seen some top level fighters and they they sit there on the bench and they're nervous you know they're not 
extremely nervous. They're controlling their emotions, but you can see that like nervousness, even yeah. in the background, uh, uh, back room, you know, just there's a little bit of tension or something in the air. Um, so, and what was it like doing these seminars in the U.S.? How did the U.S. Uh, sort of scene compared to the U.K. at the time? Um, I think all the gyms that I've been to, I've, I've found them technically they're um, they're well schooled, like they, they can punch, they can kick, like they can do all, all the stuff. But it's it's slowly coming up now. But I think a lot of what held the U.S. back is just experience, mm. fight wise. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that just comes to lack of knowledge in some of the gyms. I just think it's down to the, the demographics there where it's just hard to keep putting events on mm -hmm. and then what events they can put on. They've got to be big events, but then some of the US fighters don't have the experience to compete mm -hmm. with some of the European or Thai counterparts. So it, I, that's where I just think at the moment the US lacks in Muay Thai, just being able to fight regularly, continuously. Because mm -hmm. obviously you have those um, open tournaments out mm -hmm. there and what's happening is you're getting some of the guys that are really experienced, but they're destroying people with two mm. or three fights. It's not really helping them, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. They need to be kind of fighting more people that are on the same level as them, to help mm -hmm. them come up. So maybe they need to start looking at doing one where they've got to have X amount to enter, but then maybe they won't get that many uh, participants in it, so they can't financially put it on, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And what is the UK scene like now, and what is your gym's place in it? Um, my gyms, um, it does all right. Um, I'd say fight-wise, I've got, obviously I've got Dan, who's like A-class level. Most of mine are like up and coming. So I've been mm -hmm. open eight years. Um, like I said, it's a conveyor belt. So some of the guys that could have gone on to do really well, life's got in the way, they've mm -hmm. stopped. They've obviously found a girlfriend or a job yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of like, um, just bringing new people through. And mm -hmm. what people, I think sometimes don't, Realize with a lot of the gyms, if you look at the gyms that have got real top notch fighters, those fighters have probably been there for 10, 15 mm. years already mm. and they just haven't stopped. It's not like they get new people in, bang, they've got like a, a star straight away. It's just constant, constant, constant work. So it's like now I've got a few lads that look promising, but I'll see if they're here again in three, four years' time. That even now, like COVID will have destroyed a lot of people, mm -hmm. like people that like could have gone on they've just kind of stopped training they fell off they're not motivated anymore because there's not enough shows because um we've had a couple of um like live like stream shows but nothing really going on i think now we're looking at towards the end of july until something can potentially happen but we just don't know if the restrictions are going to get moved again yeah absolutely i mean it's a similar circumstance out here in thailand a lot of the fights and fighters have been delayed for a year or two, which out here is, you know, a huge gap in your career. Yeah. You know, I know a gym that I went to recently, their, their stable had been cut down to four or five fighters. Then wow. with the extra restrictions because of Bangkok, um, now we're going into a third wave of lockdowns and stuff in Bangkok. They, uh, you know, they decided to shut the doors and, you know, there's more delays with the fights and they're like, you know, emotionally, the fighters are just tired. And yeah, can you imagine? Um, yeah. Did you ever see the website? Um, My Muay Thai? Yeah, of course. I, I did a lot of work for it back then. But there was um, a piece on that, which was um, is when uh, Bokao went, when he did, he banished for a bit. Mm -hmm. and he was, uh, the blog post was the property of the camp. Mm -hmm. And it kind of showed how the relationship works between boxer and gym. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like really, really interesting. I've, I've tried to find it since, but it's gone. But obviously, when you read that, you can kind of really understand how this COVID situation would have messed up a lot of gyms and obviously the fighters out there as well, because there's just no income coming through whatsoever for them. Yeah, it's, you know, for the fighters and the camps, there's just no money. You know, the camps are making money either... Uh, from tourism or through, you know, gambling slash uh, high-ranking fighters' purses. Uh, without the shows, there's no income for the fighters or for the camps, and the camps still technically have to support the fighters, but without, you know, anything happening, they're just like, okay, you cost us too much money. You know, yeah. there's no fights. The fighters aren't making any money, so they're like, okay, oh, 
you know, fuck this, I go home now. Um, yeah. So it's it's sad, but you know, it looks like in a few months, hopefully things will get started. There's fights going on uh, now. Uh, this weekend, uh, the Omnoid title is being fought for. There was a recent bout uh, last Saturday in Chonburi and the Patia province. Uh, so things are slowly getting back, but you know, it's going to be very uneven for, you know, I assume six months to a year still. Uh, but just wrapping things up, um, how would you sort of summarize the history of uh, UK Muay Thai and what do you think are some of the important points of it? Fun. Thing. I suppose it's just kind of watching how it's evolved. Like I say, it's when it first started, it was very like K1 style, I suppose, like big punching combinations, leg kicks. And then because the introduction of people constantly going to Thailand, it's kind of evolving from there. But then um, I think it just kind of comes from like the evolution of the sport. So when we kind of first started out, it was like more like a, like a K1 style, like... Um, a big punching, heavy leg kicks. And then with the, the constant flow of people going to Thailand for big stints and coming back, it's slowly starting to evolve. And then you had obviously the influence as well of um, the, the Muay Thai scoring, which kind of helped kind of pick it up that way. So like we've got like quite a good, well-schooled all-round now here. But I think sometimes that holds us back when we fight internationally because not many countries implement the actual way Muay Thai mm, is scored. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. still kind of scored in like a kickboxing style. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the UK guys when they go out, unless it's an absolute whitewash, they'll mm. kind of lose on points because they're kind of doing it how it's done in Thailand, but the rest mm. of the world is following suit kind of thing. And then I just kind of think because of the language barrier, it's hard to um, understand how it's scored properly. Mm -hmm. I remember, because uh, obviously being out there, I had to try and understand the Thai culture, which you, uh, you've probably done as well, mm -hmm, to try and understand, mm -hmm. so you don't kind of get into trouble or anything because you're going along. Yeah. And then um, their uh, core beliefs are extremely different to ours, where we're very uh, literal. Mm -hmm. So if I, win, if I win round one, two, and three, I, sh I should win the fight, you know, because like, obviously mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. how it's scored. Obviously, with Thai people or Southeast Asia as a whole, they look at everything as a whole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So rather than looking at those three rounds, they're looking at the whole fight, and then they're kind of looking at how big certain rounds were won compared to other rounds, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think it's kind of hard, unless you've been to Thailand, and had to live through it to truly appreciate what they're doing. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Well, um, thank you so much for your time, Damien. Um, if people are interested in following you or training at your gym, uh, how can they follow along or contact you? Um, it, easy one is obviously you can go into my Instagram, which is uh, mm -hmm. trainer, T-R-A-I-N-O-R-103. Um, obviously, you can message me on there on Instagram, or obviously, you can check out my gym's website, which is uh, www.k-legacy.co.uk. And again, you can send an email through there. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking your time out. It was really great talking to you. You know, you've been around for a long, long time and have a lot of experience. So I really appreciate you taking your time out and talking about it. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening. And once again, if you like this show and if you like the content, it would be great if you could share, uh, leave a review on iTunes and really support the show and what I'm doing here. If you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram at Lucas Thai or email me at a.mattlucas at gmail.com. As always, this has been On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. This show was edited by Effie Ceruti. You can find me on Instagram at Effie underscore FC or on Facebook at Effie Ceruti.